there's a sort of almost fetishization of the physical book. People share pictures of themselves against their bookshelves. And of course, during the pandemic, we were all in front of our bookshelves. Welcome to Radio Davos, the podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at the biggest challenges and how we might solve them. This week, we're joining the World Economic Forum Book Club to learn about a new phenomenon that is changing how people decide what it is they're going to read. BookTok is the sort of literary wing of TikTok. It's the BookTok hashtag. Within the last year, it's really exploded and is becoming a sort of major influence on book sales. Publishers, bookshops are desperately trying to get in on it because it has such an influence over book sales. Laura Battle, the deputy books editor at the Financial Times, tells us how social media has disrupted the global publishing industry and had a big impact on business. It had an initial print run of 20,000 copies. It's now sold 2 million and we hear from a bibliotherapist. Ella Bertu uses books to help people through tough times and she has summer reading recommendations for you. Reading itself has been proven by neuroscientists to calm down the body and the brain if you're reading a book that transports you. So it's got to be fiction, something that you lose yourself in. Subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review and join us on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. I'm Robin Palmer at the World Economic Forum and with this look at books, at book talk and suggestions for what you should be reading next. So that's why escapist reading is so important. This is Radio Davos. The World Economic Forum has its own book club. Its 200,000 members meet on Facebook to share thoughts on their favourite books and to put questions to featured authors. It also has its own podcast, and I thought I would share the latest episode of that podcast with listeners of this one, Radio Davos. On that podcast episode, my colleague Kate Whiting spoke to two book enthusiasts to ask for their recommendations for holiday reading in the Northern Hemisphere summer. One of those is Ella Bertu, co-author of a book called The Novel Cure, an A to Z of Literary Remedies. She tells us about bibliotherapy and gives us her pick of escapist fiction for the summer. That's later in the show. First, Kate asked Laura Battle, Deputy Books Editor of the Financial Times, for her summer reading pick, fiction and non-fiction, and also got the lowdown on how social media, particularly TikTok's BookTok hashtag, is making waves in the global publishing industry. Kate started by asking Laura Battle about the perhaps surprising rising demand for books. There's a lot of things going on at once, actually. I think there's a sort of almost like the tail end of the pandemic where people were stuck at home and, you know, some people had no time at all, but some people had lots of time to fill. And so people were buying more books, whether it was e-books or listening to audio books or actual physical books. Um, audiobooks continue to be really a really big deal. But in terms of physical books and sort of physical bookshops, it's a, it's a really interesting one. And I think, weirdly, social media does have a part to play because all over Instagram, BookTok, all sorts of different channels, there's a sort of almost fetishization of the physical book. You know, there's people... Sh- share pictures of themselves against their bookshelves. And of course, during the pandemic, we were all in front of our bookshelves, whether they were finely curated or not. Um, so people sort of had an interest in, in, in the physicality of books, I think, and that, that's definitely playing a part. So you mentioned TikTok, obviously, and there is this BookTok trend. What exactly is it and what are we seeing there? Uh, well, BookTok is is the sort of literary wing of, of TikTok. It's the BookTok hashtag, which started like lots of hashtags as a very small, uh, very niche thing. Um, and it really, I think, began as in the in the field of genre fiction. So it was a lot of people, particularly young readers, reading young adult fiction, uh, sci-fi, particular genres. 
where it started to take off. But within the last year, it's really exploded and is becoming a sort of major influence on book sales, particularly physical book sales. So it's now very mainstream and uh, a lot of publishers, bookshops, people in the industry are, are desperately trying to get in on it because it has such an influence over book sales. For example, the Hay Book Festival announced um, a partnership. They were their digital media partners um, that was announced earlier this year. I mean, the more interesting thing is that it's completely unpredictable, really. I mean, all these publishers and, and bookshops can sort of try and catch the wave, but it's really, it's a really unpredictable force. And one of the unpredictable things about it is that, yes, it is important in sort of kickstarting book sales that are books that are just coming out. But it's also, you know, relaunching books that were published 10 years ago. There's the really famous example of it's Madeline Miller's The Song of Achilles, which was published in 2012. And I think it had an initial print run of 20,000 copies. And it was just announced, I think, earlier this month that um, it's now sold 2 million copies uh, across all formats. So the back catalogue then is becoming a big thing. And how are publishers, publishers are having to go back and sort of republish these books, are they? Yes, yeah. And there's been such a focus, I think, in the, in the publishing industry on kind of what is new, what is you know, churning these new books out. And, and now they're really having to sort of rethink their back catalogue and how can they make authors that, you know, that work by authors that may be long dead, uh, how can they uh, relaunch this, repackage it and, and catch that wave? That's fascinating. So it's almost doing to books what I guess um, streaming of music has done to the charts that we see sort of Kate Bush up there, number one with Running Up the Hill. Um, yes, of- yes, exactly. The sort of classic albums. Um, yeah, it's just it's just how you quite do it because essentially it's sort of word of mouth. I mean, these book top videos are just very short videos. They're just people's sort of stream reactions to books or even the ending of books or they're throwing books across the room. It's a very sort of emotional reaction to two books um, and it's it's how you kind of harness that I suppose if you're a publisher. So the FT a couple of weeks ago published its massive sort of summary marquee piece if you like and there were over 100 titles on there and every one of them I think really deserved their place so I'm going to ask you now to <laughs> really strip that down to three or four they can be non-fiction or fiction titles that you think everyone should have on their sort of summer reading list this year. Well, I was in as deputy books editor. I was in charge of the fiction selection, so I chose, I think, um, 10, 10 titles, and I tried to choose quite a range of of different books to suit different tastes. But I can certainly pull out kind of three titles that I think would be great summer reads. The first recommendation would be Monica Ali's Love Marriage, which is a sprawling book. She was best known for her her debut novel Brick Lane, which came out over a decade ago and nothing she published since had quite lived up to that promise but I think Love Marriage is a real return to form for her so it's quite an exciting read and it's a sprawling novel but but in the best way it's got a, a really lovable cast of, of characters um, and it's focused around two young Londoners called Yasmin Gorami and Joe Sangster and their extended families and they're a couple that are sort of planning their marriage and it and it looks at those issues of matrimony and the kind of weight of different cultural expectations around marriage and and looks at more relationships more widely but it's it's funny and it's it's moving and, and it's written with the, the lightest of touch so it's about I think over 500 pages but it really races by so so that's um one recommendation of mine 
Another one, which is a completely different sort of book called Spies in Canaan by David Parks. And this is slim and it's somber and it's just a really powerful reflection on well, American foreign policy, really, but told through the story of, of this one man. And the novel is narrated by this, this man, a retired US spy called Michael Miller. Um, and it begins with a really lyrical account of his time spent serving during the fall of Saigon. And then it continues to the present day in the second part of the book when a mysterious package arrives and he ends up having to completely rethink his time in Vietnam. So it's a fascinating character study, the sort of theme of innocence lost, but it's also um, really interesting about the grey areas of, of morality, whether it's an individual's mor- sense of morality or whether it's, you know, a country acting in a way that it believes to be uh, moral. Another, com- again, completely different, a novel called Fight Night by Miriam Taves. And if I describe it as a novel about kind of trauma experienced by three generations of the same family and told through the letters of the youngest member, who's an eight-year-old Swift. I don't think you'd rush to buy it, but I really would urge your um, listeners to to read this book because it's also one of just the funniest and most irreverent books that I've read this year Um, and and life-affirming too, actually, even even though it deals with some really serious subjects. Um, Swift, who's the narrator, the the eight-year-old, is just completely distinctive character and and Taves uh, writes with with a real sense of joy, I think. So that would be recommended as well in terms of fiction. Wow, that sounds amazing. I actually have an eight-year-old. It's quite interesting to think of somebody writing from that perspective as well. It can't be easy to do that. Yeah, It's really unusual, I think, to find a child narrator in a novel that, that is so distinctive and convincing because it's a really difficult thing to do, I think. Yes, if we could turn to some non-fiction titles now as well, um, what have you got on your sort of reading pile this summer? I think the standout non-fiction book that that I've read, there's a book called Super Infinite by Catherine Rundell, which is a biography of the poet, uh, John Donne. And it's a really astonishing book, I think. Rundell is a fellow of All Souls College, but she's best known as a children's author until now. But this biography is is an extraordinary portrait of John Donne, who we tend to think of just for his love poetry. But you know, he was a he was a lawyer and he was an MP. And towards the end of his life, he was a formidable preacher as dean of St Paul's Cathedral. So she's really interested in his many selves and also his own creative obsession with the idea of the infinite. And it just feels a completely original biography and really fresh. The writing is so fresh. So I definitely recommend that. That sounds brilliant. Um, And anything else sort of nonfiction wise? Well, I I recently reviewed um, three books on farming and and the future of food for for the FT, for the books essay in the FT. And it's one of those subjects that intersects with some of the most pressing issues of of today, um, including food shortages, which have come about, you know, as a, largely the result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, but also climate change as, as well. There are three books that I reviewed. The first is called Regenesis by George Monbiot. And he's really, he's an environmentalist and a vegan activist. And he's really saying there is no future for farmers. We all, all ought to be on plant-based diets and farming 
largely should be phased out um, and certainly livestock farming. Um, and then uh, two books coming at it from a slightly different angle. One is called Rooted by Sarah Langford and another called Land Healer by Jake Fines. And Sarah Langford is a farmer and Jake Fines is a conservationist uh, working at Hokum Estate. And they're both arguing that there is a future for livestock and arable farming, but it's got to be in a much more sustainable way. There is a future for what they call regenerative agriculture. Coming to podcasts now, are there any particular podcasts that you would recommend our listeners tune into? Um, Well, I would definitely encourage them to tune into the FT Weekend podcast. And actually, we've just done a recording. Fred Studeman, who's the literary editor here, and um, I'm deputy books editor. We've just done a recording with Lila Raptopoulos, who presents that podcast about summer reads. And uh, she's also joined by uh, Raphael Abraham, who's the deputy arts editor. And he's a real film buff here. And he went to Cannes earlier this year and he's got his film choices for the summer. That was the Financial Times's Laura Battle picking her summer reading from books recently published. But what if you're looking for sheer escapism? Here's Ella Bertu, bibliotherapist and co-author of The Novel Cure and A to Z of Literary Remedies. Presumably in the last couple of years we've been through a pandemic. Have you seen people turning more to books during this time? And we're still in a very sort of uncertain time at the moment. Is that something that people are increasingly doing, trying to seek solace? Yes, very much so. I have seen a lot more bibliotherapy clients coming from all over the world seeking solace in books. Obviously, when we had a lockdown, there wasn't a lot to do. So people did turn to books often in that instance. But also since we've been allowed out again, people have been carrying on reading. And I've actually had a lot of people who are very aware that their mental health has been vastly improved by reading books. Um, And people have become much more conscious of that now, I think, as well. So I've been going to companies and bringing bibliotherapy to different groups of people from the NHS, care workers, um, all kinds of people, people at sort of big companies like BP, Barclays, everyone's sort of realising that different types of wellness are going to help them and bibliotherapy is a really obvious and great direction to go. And it's cheap. Completely. But what is it about the act of reading then that helps people? Well, reading itself has been proven by neuroscientists to calm down the body and the brain. So people have observed the brain while reading and seen that your kind of brain waves actually slow down, your breathing slows down and your pulse slows down if you're reading a book that transports you. So it's got to be fiction. Um, it's non-fiction doesn't have the same effect. It's got to be something that you lose yourself in. So that's why escapist reading is so important. And it just, it takes people out of their daily circumstances, allows them to live different lives. And also by reading a novel, you actually enter into someone else's heart and soul and mind and being, and you live their life effectively. And that's incredibly calming and relaxing getting into someone else's brain. And it's also cathartic, which is what the ancient Greeks understood about art and drama, that by going through strong emotions via someone else, via fiction, it's a way of exorcising your own pain and grief and difficulties and 
it, you know, it doesn't also have to be negative emotions. It can be positive emotions as well that you're experiencing through other people. So it's an opportunity to live other lives. And that must help with empathy, I imagine, that you're actually standing in somebody else's shoes while you're reading about them. Absolutely. So that's one of the main reasons why reading fiction is so important and so brilliant is that it's an opportunity to empathise with other people in different cultures, different ways of looking at the world, going back into history, going forward into the future. And it's incredibly important for children to read fiction for that very reason so that they can empathise with other people around the world, but also for adults, um, because adults tend to quite often think, oh, I should only read in order for to educate myself or to learn more about the world through non-fiction. But actually, if you read fiction, then you empathise much more with the people and learn more about the places that they are, the circumstances that they're in, than you would by just reading non-fiction. So this episode of the podcast is obviously focusing on summer reading, but because it's the World Economic Forum, only half of the world is currently in summer, only those in the Northern Hemisphere. But I imagine that a lot of people listening will relate to what you've been saying and will want to find some reading material that can help them escape and actually calm them down. So be really interested to hear what your recommendations are for escapist reading. Excellent. So I've got a a really nice selection, I hope. One of my favourite summer reads, which is great for escapism, is Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, which is a really fabulous book set in the 1960s in America about a woman who's a chemist who is kind of superseded by all her male peers because they take all the glory for the work she's actually doing herself. She then loses her job and becomes, kind of by accident, a TV chef. And she uses her chemistry skills to be a brilliant chef. And it's just a hilarious, sassy, brilliantly written, really lovely novel. Very quirky, very unusual. And there's also an amazing dog in the book called 630, who was one of the best canine characters that I've ever read. So that's a really fun, enjoyable, in a way, light read. But it also has a lot of profound, interesting topics at its heart of feminism and male patriarchy. Then I would also massively recommend another great escapist read is a book by Louisa Young called 12 Months and a Day, which is all about two people that at the very beginning of the book die, leaving their partners behind. And the two that have died who are called Rasmus and Roizen, I think they're the ones that die and Nico and Jay are the ones that are left. And you experience the story through the viewpoint of the ghosts and also through the people that are left behind. And it's a really romantic love story, very unusual. It's not a ghost story per se, but it's a romance story about how these these two people in their 30s accidentally died and how they really mourn the people that they left behind by dying. And of course, the ones that are left behind are mourning their dead partners. And the ghosts try to manipulate the lives of the people left behind for the good. They try and aid and abet their future plans. And it's a really touching, really romantic, really lovely story set in the present day. And Louisa Young is a really fabulous writer who um, 
has written lots of other fantastic books too. You know, you're in good hands with her. Is it heartbreaking or is it actually quite life-affirming? Both. So it starts off being heartbreaking when they die for very kind of unlucky reasons, but then it becomes more and more life-affirming as the book goes on, as you see the two characters who are left behind continuing with their lives and coming to terms with what's happened and forming new relationships without giving it away, what happens. It's actually a very life-affirming book. So that's a top tip. I think it's a brilliant, really lovely summer read. And it's also set partly in London, partly in Scotland. It's got really great settings. Then another that I would very much recommend as a great summer read is Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead which is an amazingly life-affirming book about a female pilot, an aviatrix, who has all sorts of adventures leading up to a massive journey that she does around the world, hence the name Great Circle, that she's trying to fly around the world. And it's loosely based on stories of real aviatrixes, such as Amelia Earhart, So there's quite a lot in common with her story. The heroine who is the female pilot is a really great, sassy character who's incredibly cool. And it's about her love life, how she comes to be a female pilot, also her relationship with her twin brother, and then how she ends up going on this mad adventure with her co-pilot around the world. And she does disappear and we won't tell you what happens. But then also there's a 2015 parallel aspect of the book where there's a Hollywood actor trying to do act the part of this female pilot. So we sort of get flipping back and forth. And it's a, it's a really great adventure story. Do you get to travel as the reader? Do you get to travel with her around the world as well? Very much so. And um, it's a lot of it set in Maine in America to start with and then... You travel around the world with her. So you have lots of adventures along with her. So that is a great summer read for people that might not be able to travel during the summer. And then another one, which is a lovely summer read too, which is more of a kind of gentle summer read in a way, is a book called The Water Garden by Louise Soraya Black, which is set in the UK near a really beautiful reservoir lake, hence The Water Garden. And it's about a a woman in her 30s who is stuck at home with her young children and she's sort of quite bored. And then she meets this teenager, Finn, who seems to be a little bit feckless. And she starts an interesting and complex relationship with this teenager. And there's also a drowned boy who drowned in the reservoir in the past. So it's a a very summary book because it's all set in this beautiful, lovely water garden but it's also got lots of looking back into the past and a bit of going to Italy there's a sort of Italian aspect of the novel as well going back into some of the history of the characters in the novel and it's a very intense very passionate novel which is very beautiful and very summery and very evocative of place so if you had to take just one of those, if you only had space in your suitcase for one of those books, which would it be? Oh, that's really tricky. But I'd probably go for Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead because it's a big, fat book. It's actually 
about 800 pages. So you know that it would keep you going for the whole of your holiday. Um, and it's quite a saga. It takes you over kind of 30 years of the heroine's life. So you get completely swept up in her whole existence. Ella Bertu, her book is called The Novel Cure, an A to Z of Literary Remedies. Before that, you heard Laura Battle, Deputy Books Editor at the Financial Times. Both were speaking to Kate Whiting. Those interviews on this podcast were first published on the World Economic Forum Book Club podcast. Please search that out wherever you get your podcasts for lots of other great episodes on books and authors. And please also subscribe to this one, Radio Davos, and leave us a rating and review. And join the conversation on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club. Look for that on Facebook. This episode of Radio Davos was presented by me, Robin Pomeroy. Studio production was by Gareth Nolan. We'll be back next week. But for now, thanks to you for listening and goodbye.